Well, this morning is a demolition job. Really, this morning is uh, part of a two-part series, really, within the series. This is the more negative one. This is the sort of clearing away uh, all the rubbish that we have, all the sort of uh, ideas that we have that mix up our minds uh, about the matters we've been talking about. But as it says in Scripture, Ecclesiastes 3, for everything there is a season, a time to break down, and a time to build up. Well, this morning is very much a breaking down one, and next week will be very much a building up one. What we're looking at this morning is why Christians gather together. And it's an important question because the very idea of church is a gathering. That's what the word means. Church is a gathering. The church is the gathered people of God. Gathered in heaven, around the throne, around Jesus. And gathered here on earth in various locations and at various times through history. But we're all still part of one big gathering. So it's an important question, but it's also a very relevant question. I mean, we've been thinking, haven't we? What if we can't gather together? What if the government uh, recommends that we stay at home instead? What is it that we'd lose? What is it that we'd have to make up for if we couldn't gather together? Now, we can worship God anywhere. We've said that. It's not to do with where our feet are, but where our heart is. But if that's true, it doesn't mean then that, well, basically the equivalent of church is we can just sit at home instead. Is that basically doing the same thing? Can we just sit at home, listen to a talk, sing along to some music and pray? Wouldn't that be the same? Isn't that just as much worship as what we do when we're gathered? Now the surprising answer I want to give you this morning is yes. Yes, that is just as much worship as us being gathered together here this morning. But that's not the end of the story before you start jumping out of your seats. But uh, that is not the end of the story. Let me give you a quote from Don Carson. He says, We cannot imagine that the church gathers for worship on Sunday morning if we mean by this that we, en- uh, that we then engage in something that we have not been engaging in in the rest of the week. What he's saying there is that worship is something we do throughout the week. Laying down our lives, our day-to-day lives, in all that we do in service to God. It's something that we do with every aspect of our lives, every member of our bodies. And that includes our hours together on a Sunday, but it's not exclusive to that time. So if that's true, which I'm telling you that biblically it is, why do we gather to meet together? If we can worship anywhere, and it's essentially the same in terms of worship, why do we gather together? What's the point? Well, this morning, we're going to be thoroughly unsatisfied uh, with our answer. We're only going to get really half the story. I might give you a little bit more, uh, just to keep you going until next week. Um, But it's an important half that we need to get our heads around, really, if we want to know what church is really all about. Could it be that we've been treating church wrong, perhaps for years, Could it be that week on week we've left disappointed from church because we've come expecting and hoping for one thing but finding something else? So we're going to see this morning that the purpose of gathering as Christians is not worship but something else. To do that this morning we're going to delve into the words the Bible uses to speak about worship. We're going to see what Hebrews tells us about New Testament versus Old Testament worship. 
And then we're going to make some conclusions and implications at the end. So to start with, four words for worship. Four words for worship. The New Testament uses all sorts of words to describe worship. And all of them are translated worship in our English Bibles. It's a bit unhelpful in some ways. But the most common one is one proscunio. Uh, I should have put these down on your sheets in there because you go, how do you spell that? Uh, <laughs> I spell it P-R-O-S-Q, that's not Q, K-U-N-E-O, proscunio. It sort of means paying homage. Literally, it means to come forward to kiss. I think of it uh, helpful to think about the idea of kissing the ring of a great king of old. It's that sort of idea of pledging allegiance to him, a sign of submission to the king. And that word's used 60 times in the New Testament. It's what the wise men do when they find Jesus. It's what the devil tempts Jesus to do in the wilderness. So Luke 4, 7 and 8, you'll find these on the back of your notice sheets. If you then will worship me, that word, proscunio, um, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. It's telling there, isn't it, that the word, this is the word that's used to translate the first commandment. This worship for God alone. It's the word that we saw two weeks ago when we were told by Jesus to worship in spirit and in truth. It's what the disciples do when Jesus is resurrected from the dead. They worship him. It's what the whole of creation does in the book of Revelation. But do you notice in all those examples what's noticeably absent is any mention of it being used in a Christian meeting. The closest we get is a non-believer attending a meeting and seemingly becoming a Christian. So 1 Corinthians 14.24, this is talking about order in church services, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He will be called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God And declare that God is really among you. That's the only mention of worship in a church meeting. It seems there that worship is actually the act of believing. Bowing the knee to King Jesus. And spoiler alert. This is the closest we're going to get with any of these words. To it happening in a Christian meeting. The second word that we have is sebomai. S-E-B-O-M-A-I. And here it has more the idea of devotion. And again, we've already met this a few times in our series. So Matthew 15, verse 9. In vain do they worship me. That's that word there. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Or Acts 16, 14. There Lydia is described as a worshipper of God that the Lord opens her heart to pay attention to what Paul is saying. It's used of pagan gods. Uh, two. So Acts 19.27, uh, it's used of the worship of Artemis, not the building, <laughs> the, uh, the goddess uh, in uh, Asia Minor. But again, there's no mention of this in church meetings. This is just the idea of reverence, of devotion, but it's not used for what happens when we gather together. The next word is latruio, so L-A-T-R-E-U-O which is basically the idea of obedience. It's taken from the Greek word for a hired hand, a menial. And the emphasis is on obedience, as a menial would do to their master. We see that in Revelation 22. 
So Revelation 22.3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. That worship word there is latruia. The servant worships his master. Philippians 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. In Luke 4, 8, it's the word that's translated serve. Serve the Lord alone only. And then in Hebrews 12, 28. Let us therefore be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Again, the idea of submitting to a master. It's used in Hebrews in other parts to do with temple worship, but it's not used of Christian meetings. And then finally, our fourth word is liturgio. L-E-I-T-O-U-R-G-E-O. And that's the idea of service. It's where we get our words liturgy and liturgical from. But the word is used in all sorts of ways in scripture. Whenever anyone serves or ministers to someone. So it's used of priests serving in the temple in Luke 1 and in Hebrews. But it's also used in Philippians of the service to Paul, which the Philippians give, which Epaphras does on their behalf. So they do it to Paul. So it's not just exclusively to God. But again, it's never used of a Christian meeting. Now, all these words are helpful. Actually, they all feed into our understanding as worship, as offering our bodies as living sacrifices to God, don't they? Paying homage to him as a subject to a king, revering him as God, obeying him as a servant to his master, serving him as a priest in the temple, offering our bodies. But it doesn't help so much to explain what we do on a Sunday morning or evening. I mean, think about the verses that we have to explain what we do when we gather together. Acts 2, uh, 42 to 43. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. But do you notice there, there's no mention of worship. They don't devote themselves to worship. Or think about the descriptions of meetings in 1 Corinthians. Um, only one of them mentions worship, and that was that unbeliever becoming a Christian. The very next verse says this, 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty six. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Even there, where all the parts of a meeting are listed... The purpose is not given as worship, but as building up of edification. It could have ended, couldn't it? Let all things be done for the worship of God. But it doesn't. Bob Cowflin, a hymn writer who writes some of our favourite hymns, uh, writes this. When you gather uh, as a church to meet with God, Paul says, keep each other in view. That actually glorifies God. And it's why the word word Paul uses to describe the purpose of meetings isn't worship, but edification, that building up. Whatever word you use for worship, it's not given in the Bible as the purpose for why we meet together as Christians. So what is going on? Well, that brings us to our second point, Old Testament worship 
fulfilled by Jesus. And here we're going to be looking at that passage in Hebrews 10. Our passage in Hebrews describes the situation in the Old Testament. A holy priest stands in a holy place and offers a holy sacrifice. Again, if you want that in more detail, go back and listen to the series in Leviticus. Or Richard did an excellent talk on this uh, uh, earlier in the year on Hebrews, uh, this very passage. Um, Jesus has fulfilled all those shadows, as verse 1 puts it, and has given us something better. Has given us the reality. So holy priests, as they're described here, they've been fulfilled. There's no longer any need for an earthly priest. There are no more priests, capital P, because we're now a kingdom of priests. All of us are, if you like. There's no special uh, person. We're all set apart for God. So we do not need someone to bring us into God's presence or to stand before God for us. Jesus does that. He's our great high priest. Have a look at verses 11 and 12 again. And every, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus is actually the one who brings us into God's presence. He is our priest. He is the one who stands before the Father for us. So it's stupid to go call, around calling yourself a priest. When actually Jesus has ended that. Jesus is our high priest. He is the one that we need. It's stupid to say that you can mediate God's presence to people. But you think that would be obvious that that's something that Jesus does. And yet it happens every Sunday. And not always in the places you'd expect. So you hear things like this. Let's pray as we come into God's presence now. Let's come into God's presence as we dot, dot, dot. Or as we worship, for example. As though there's some sort of sacred guitar chord that you start. Right, now we're in God's presence. Not really. (laughs) Although there's some sort of special prayer or posture. No, Jesus opens the way to heaven. Jesus mediates God's presence to us by his Holy Spirit. And he does that all the time. We're never out of God's presence. So again, got Bob Coughlin in his helpful book on worship says this. No worship leader, pastor or musician can bring us into the presence of God. Only Jesus can lead us into God's presence. And he accomplished that through his substitutionary death, which forever removed the curtain of God's judgment that separated us from his presence. The curtain is torn down. We're in God's presence now. So we do meet with God as we gather. That's right. Jesus promised that where two or three are gathered together, there he would be in the midst. That's true. But at the same time, he also promised never to leave us or forsake us. That he would be with us always, even till the end of the age. And I don't think by that he meant once or twice a week on a Sunday. Don't we believe that he is with us through the week too? Don't we believe that through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us, he's with us all the time? Meetings don't mediate God's presence. Nor do ministers or musicians or monks or priests. Jesus mediates God's presence. If you want to meet with God, go to Jesus. 
So the role of the priest is fulfilled. Jesus brings us to God. Also, holy space is fulfilled. We talked about this in the first week. We no longer go to a special uh, place. I was a little bit pricked by this when I realised we'd organised our prayer meetings at the new building. But you know what? We had no need to be there. Our prayers are not more powerful in one place than in another. It was useful to be there so we'd actually see and we could thank God looking around us. But our prayers would have been equally effective if we'd have had them in the open air or at the old building or even in a pub. Our prayers are as effective because they're prayers to God. There's not holy space. As I mentioned at that prayer meeting, there's a very real way in which a church building is a glorified rain shelter. And not glorified as in holy, glorified as in a bit more elaborate. They keep the rain off, God willing. They keep the wind out, God willing. And allow us to focus on what we're doing inside. But there's nothing magical about them. They're not holy ground. They're not a new temple. The temple was fulfilled in Jesus. He spoke about his own body as the temple. The Bible does refer to the church as a temple. But the way we use church confuses things. In the Bible, the building is not a church. It's the people who are the church. That's why the Puritans and others called their buildings things like chapels and the like, which is related to the idea of a hat, which is again the idea of a rain shelter. If we want to be technically correct, the sign above a building should read something like, Bethel Church meets here. It's unfortunate, really, that uh, in English it's become to mean the building too, but it's the most understood term, which is why I think it makes sense for a sign. People understand what it means. But really, when the building is empty, there's no church there. You see? So we have no need for a special building, so long as we meet in Jesus. He is the true place of worship, where we meet with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then lastly, the holy sacrifice is fulfilled. Have a look at verses 12 to 18. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. In the Old Testament, repeated atoning sacrifices were offered. Thousands upon thousands of bulls and goats and sheep were offered on the altars. But all that stopped. Not just because the temple where they were offered was destroyed in 70 AD... But because Jesus fulfilled the role of sacrifice. That all stops now. Jesus is the true sacrifice once for all. Sure, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. But it's not an atoning sacrifice. It doesn't deal with our sin. It's a grateful response to what God has done for us in Christ by forgiving our sin. Jesus paid it all. There is now nothing more to pay. So the sacrifices stop because Jesus has fulfilled what they were pointing to. 
Jesus' sacrifice of himself on the cross to pay for sin was what they were all looking forward to. So when we put all this together, the the end of holy priests, the end of holy space, the end of holy sacrifices, we see a complete dismantling of Old Testament religion. That's why the title this week is The End of Religion. So much of what people associate with religion is done away with. No more priests, no more temples, no more sacrifices. Jesus has comprehensively undone so much of religion by fulfilling it in himself and his death on the cross. Vaughan Roberts puts it this way. We do not have to go to some holy place and find a priest who will offer up a sacrifice for us. That's really what this passage in Hebrews means. Because we found one. Jesus has done it. But that's what worship was. That's what it looked like in the Old Testament. And Jesus has fulfilled it. So if here we have an end to worship as we know it, in its place we have, well, our lives offered as living sacrifices and meetings that edify. Meetings that build you up in the faith. Meetings where we build each other up in the faith. That's the way that the Bible talks about Christians meeting together. Interestingly, it's how the Reformers talked about the church meeting together too. But we'll see that next week. That's more of a sneak, pre, uh, sneak preview, sneak peek of what we have got coming. But that's what our meetings are about, edification rather than worship. So I want to draw out some implications of what we've seen. So finally, three implications. The first one is that Sunday meetings aren't worship, and this isn't a place of worship. Now, you might want to argue that since the whole of life is worship, this is worship. And I'll give you that, that's true. But then you must accept that Monday is worship, and Thursday is worship, and that my kitchen is a place of worship. But in a technical sense, you'd be correct. This is worship. We don't, it's not that we come on a Sunday and we stop worshipping, and then we go for the rest of the week and we start it again. No, actually, we are worshipping God here, just not um, not exclusively. It's not that we pause from worship, but actually it's, it's something much bigger. Now, some might be sad at that thought, the idea that this isn't really worship in a special sense. Well, Sunday should be special. And they are a special day because that's the day we gather together as God's people around God's word, isn't it? But here is the challenge. Make every day special. Make every day special. Now, I know that can just be like the teacher who said to his class, remember you, you're unique, just like everybody else. You know, actually, it can turn out that uh, you may get nothing, or it can mean something. You can take that challenge to make every day a day of worship. Take what you love about Sundays and try to put them into every day. Every day is to be a day of worship. But the meetings that we have are no more worship than any other day. That language and that mindset belongs to the Old Testament, not to the New Testament. Second implication. Worship language about Sundays can be unhelpful. Not sinful, but unhelpful. So, you know, we're going to have a time of worship now. What does that mean? Or worship music. Uh, I've got a friend who uh, keeps posting on Twitter that, you know, they've 
I'm at home, got a bit of worship on. And you know exactly what they mean, don't you? In fact, I bet you probably even know the style of worship that they're, the worship music, if you like, or uh, music that they're listening to, don't you? Where they say, I've got a bit of worship on. They've not got Wesley and Watts, have they? It's Graham and Tim. Uh, they've, got, <clears throat> they've got on their CD or MP3 player. Actually, in that sense, it's become almost a subset of a musical style rather than the whole of life. That's quite unhelpful, really, to think about it. You know, some songs are worship songs, other songs aren't. doesn't really make sense. Or the language of entering God's presence. Or you sometimes get churches say, come experience God's presence. And again, they're meaning when you sing, really. That's what they're talking about. Or the language of entering God's house. Oh, come into God's house. Well... It's rather unfortunate, isn't it, that Bethel actually means house of God. Um, But again, that can be unhelpful, as though this is a sort of special building that's set apart in some way. Calling actual buildings temple or tabernacle, that can be unhelpful, can't it? If we do ever change from Bethel, let's not become a tabernacle or a temple, okay? A worship service, or a service even. Even before my time at Bethel, uh, meetings here have been called meetings rather than services. If you don't believe me, check your notice sheets. doesn't describe it as a service. There's the odd exception like carol services, but that's because carol meetings just sounds wrong, doesn't it? Come to my carol meeting or carol gathering. Sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Other things, we don't have an altar or a font at the front. When we share bread and wine, we have a table, and it literally is a table, not an altar. Bread and wine is a remembrance, not a sacrifice. More on that in a few weeks' time. The leaders at church don't wear special clothes or strange hats. Because we're not priests. I don't wear a tie to sort of make that point. I've started wearing jeans to make that point even further as well. That actually there's not a sort of special category of clergy or, or that idea as though we're set apart. We have pastors, not priests. So please don't call me reverend. Okay, or father. You can call me Chris. Or if you really must, Pastor Chris. But that's only if you really, really must. What Jesus has de-religionized, let us not re-religionize, yeah? So we get, get this so far, don't we? But it's so easy to slip back into. You know, we start reading our Old Testament and using that sort of language for what we do. But Jesus has done away with that. He's fulfilled it. So let's not fall back into that language. And then thirdly, it also means that our meetings on Sunday should reflect this truth. If it's about worship, then really it's about me and God. It's that vertical relationship, isn't it? I come to church, I'm worshipping here, you're worshipping there, and we just happen to be in the same room. It's a me thing and it's a God thing. Like a personal devotional time, but in the presence of others. That's the way some people think about it, if you like. What matters then is what I give to God, and more often what God gives to me. What we get out of God by meeting together. We become worship consumers. But here's the thing. There are better sermons online. There are. There are better tunes and songs and singing on iTunes than you get on a Sunday morning. There's better tea and coffee, no offence to 
tea and coffee. Better tea and coffee <laughs> at Costa and Starbucks, aren't there? All these things are true. If it's about me and God, then Sundays will be quite a bit of a disappointment, won't they? Unless it's exactly the way I like it. In which case, I'm buzzing, but everyone else will be disappointed. That's if it's about worship, me and God. But Sundays are not about worship. They're about me and God. Uh, Every day, aren't they, we're about me and God. Every day is about that relationship. Every hour is about me and God. But that's not the reason that we gather. So if you want to listen to Tim Hughes on repeat all day on your headphones, you can do. That's fine. If you want to listen to choral hymns by Hilda von Bingham at home, (laughs) go ahead. If you want to listen to Graham Kendrick 24-7, seek help. That's what I would say. But but Sundays are not all about that, are they? They're actually about each other. And that's what you'd expect, isn't it? If you think about it, if the whole point is that we're gathered, you'd expect it to be something to do with not just you and God, but the people around you. Church, as we said at the beginning, literally means gathering. Wouldn't you think it would be something to do with how we relate to each other? But we're starting to stray into next week now. But for now, we need to see that church meetings are not there for worship. But that's okay, because the whole of life is worship. So worship God with the whole of your life, not just with the hour or two you're with us on a Sunday when we're with each other. Now next week we'll delve into what church really is for. You've already had a sneak peek this morning, but we'll find out what it's really all about. And actually that's something even more wonderful that we can do together. So let's pray that God would help us in that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can worship you anywhere and everywhere. Father, we thank you that we can uh, do that in any place that we're in. Father, we don't need a special person to bring us into your presence. Father, we don't need a special place. Thank you that Jesus has done it all. So Father, pray that we take advantage of that uh, through the week. And Father, help us to get straight on what we do when we gather together. Father, thank you that we do worship you as we gather together. Father, we don't stop worshipping. But Father, help us to remember that it's not just about uh, myself and God, but it's about others too. And Father, help us in the coming weeks as we understand what that means. In Jesus' name. Amen.